This is a Federal News Network podcast. The House returns to Capitol Hill this week to get to work on the bipartisan infrastructure bill. The House isn't expected to make many big changes to the bill. The Senate already passed. Federal employee groups are already counting their victories and losses now that they've had time to review the new legislation. Federal News Network's Nicole Agrisco joins us now to run through some of the big items and how they might impact federal agencies if the bill becomes law. Hi, Nicole. Hey, Jared. So we're just going to touch on a few issues here. One of them is uh, federal wildland firefighters. What does this potentially do for them? So it gives them about $600 million for salaries and other workforce initiatives. And this is a priority of the Biden administration, but also one of the National Federation of Federal Employees, which represents a lot of federal wild wildland firefighters. And I mean, this is something that the administration is working on. Just last week, they announced that they were implementing some pay raises for federal firefighters, namely to bump them all up to the $15 an hour level, which not all firefighters are currently making at this point. A lot of them start out as GS2s, 3s, and 4s, depending on where they work. And that actually does put them below $15 an hour. But anyway, this bill would convert at least a thousand seasonal workers to permanent members of the federal firefighter workforce, which is another priority as fire season isn't a season anymore. It's kind of growing into a year long event. And, you know, most interesting, most interestingly here, I think it tells Interior, the Agriculture Department and the Office of Personnel Management to create actually a new wildland firefighter occupation series and positions located in a specified geographic region where apparently it's difficult to recruit and retain federal firefighter talent could be eligible for an annual salary increase. And that would be worth either $20,000 or an amount worth 50% of base pay, whichever is less. And current firefighters could choose to either enter this new occupational series or stick with what they have. And I I think with what they have, uh, annual raises at least at this level aren't likely guaranteed yeah i was going to ask on on the on the discrete issue of um, moving firefighters to full-time permanent status if that's mainly just a reflection of the fact that as you said there's not really a wildfire season anymore or if it's more to make the make the job a little bit more enticing but it sounds like it's both really I think it is both. And there's been a lot of talk lately by the administration of trying to make pay and benefits a little more attractive to federal firefighters and also work on kind of the the mental health and also the health uh, aspects of the job as well, uh, acknowledging that, you know, the last year and previous years and likely this one as well has been pretty tough for them. All right, moving on to another issue here, a lot of cybersecurity provisions. Talk us through some of the key ones. So I think the big one first is the $21 million for the new office of the National Cyber Director, and that would be available through the end of fiscal 2022. And this is a brand new office just stood up within the last month or so. And National Cyber Director Chris Inglis has said that This money in the infrastructure bill would help him hire a few more people for this office, which currently has about two people, including himself. So he described it as kind of a tide over until Congress passes 2022 appropriations for his office, which we don't know really when that will happen. As as far as we can tell, we don't think a full appropriations for 2022 will get passed by September 30th, which is the deadline. And so, you know, some sort of CR will 
not likely not include specific oper- or specific appropriations for this new office. So Congress basically has to tie them over until then. And the infrastructure bill, you know, it also requires several agencies to develop specific cybersecurity plans at the energy and transportation departments. You know, one provision that I thought was interesting was the Federal Highway Administration would have to designate a specific office to serve as a cyber coordinator for the purposes of monitoring, alerting, and advising transportation authorities about cyber incidents. There's also a $35 million investment for the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency to better oversee and coordinate the government cyber response efforts. And that was actually a directive in the current year's National Defense Authorization Act. Plus, there's more funding for the Homeland Security Science and Technology Directorate for research on cyber risk assessments, vulnerability testing, and a couple other areas. Okay, Nicola, as, as we said on the way in, some of the federal employee groups and management groups are counting their, their wins and their losses in this bill. What, are, what have they been telling you about their observations so far? So while the National Federation of Federal Employees sees some of the provisions for federal firefighters as definitely a win, uh, the Professional Managers Association is pretty concerned about a couple provisions in this bill that would, you know, essentially cause the IRS to make a series of quick but pretty labor-intensive mid-year tax changes. And, you know, all told, they require, you know, immediate reprogramming, immediate training, and that means they'd have to pull employees off of what they're currently working on to take this training. And, you know, customer service is already pretty bad, as we've seen in some of the reports from the National Taxpayer Advocate. And the IRS is still behind from the last two filing seasons, and they're trying to hire and prepare for the next one as we speak. And, you know, I think another kind of blow here is that the infrastructure bill doesn't include investments that would have allowed the IRS to ramp up some of its enforcement capabilities and close the tax gap and maybe improve customer service. And that was something that Congress was debating and that the administration was advocating for. And the Professional Managers Association, which represents IRS supervisors, say that's pretty disappointing. And so some of these provisions that would end, you know, COVID-19 relief programs that the IRS has programmed into their systems, they would basically have to kind of cut back at this point, And that would require a lot of work on behalf of the agency. Yeah, on the on the IRS funding issue, it sounds like that's mostly a timing problem, right? Because there is some there is money in there for the IRS, but there's no way it gets there in time to actually help with these mid year changes. Right, that's what PMA is concerned about. That if this bill passes, let's say next month, there's not a lot of time to advertise the changes to those who would be impacted. So they think they would have to field, you know, a lot of calls from taxpayers, from small businesses who would be impacted by these changes, which just really perpetuates a cycle that they've been in, you know, for the last couple of years here. All right. Federal News Network's Nicole Agrisco. Thanks very much. Thanks, Jared. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, 
the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, 
where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers as others call them every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship, step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. As prices keep creeping up, your entertainment budget doesn't have to take a hit. Live One Plus has all the music you love, ad-free for only $3.99 per month. Dive into Live One's massive library of songs, listen to curated playlists, or create your own. Check out exclusive artist-hosted stations and do it all for the best price in streaming. 
Lock in a Live One Plus membership for just $3.99 per month now, and you'll not only beat inflation, you'll get all your favorite music ad-free. Check out liveone.com slash best music for details. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.